Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Jesus is better. That's the message of Hebrews. Over and over, we have a superior Savior. And this morning, we're going to look at just the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I think I mentioned it last week, uh, Hebrews 12 and 13. They are definitely the practical instructions for Christian living that God gives us in the book of Hebrews. The first 10 chapters, it laid out some vital doctrine that we all need to know, uh, doctrines on which we base our Christian faith. But in these last three chapters, 11, 12, and 13, uh, we find out what those doctrines demand of us as Jesus' followers. You know, in the New Testament, uh, the Christian life is pictured a few different ways. Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy and some other places, uh, Christian life is portrayed as uh, us being soldiers in a war. Uh, There's other places where we're described as a family. We're born again. We have a new forever heavenly father. We have new brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. But here in Hebrews 12, the Christian life is referred to as a race for us to run. Now, if you're like me, and that's not your favorite activity, it is not my favorite activity, running. Um, Don't fret, because we are promised here everything we need to fuel us across the finish line. Let's read verses 1 to 2, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Before we study these two verses, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we've been singing it, um, but now as we study it together, and more importantly, as we respond to its truth, however your Holy Spirit will call us to, I pray that you would illuminate the truth of what you have given us here. God, there are times when the race of the Christian life is difficult, but you've promised to give us everything we need to continue on, to endure. Lord, I'm thankful for the great cloud of witnesses that are laid out in chapter 11 and and in all of your word and even in our own personal lives. And God, I pray that we would be as faithful as they are, that we look to them for motivation, but ultimately that we would look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 1, we've got a paradigm, we've got a model, we've got a pattern uh, for continuing in the faith that we've come to. There's some past testifiers 
those past testifiers, that past testimony is really all of chapter 11, which we didn't look at verse by verse. We just looked at a couple of them because on Sunday evenings we studied all of these characters of faith whose conduct of faith God commends in chapter 11. And we need to remember that um, chapter divisions, even verses in our Bible, verse numbers, they weren't there originally. They were put there long after the Bible was written. I'm glad they were because you all got to Hebrews 12 pretty quickly. You didn't have to thumb through a bunch of pages, but sometimes it can break up a connection that God had put there. And the wherefore here at the beginning of verse one is a connection. It's connecting into everything that he just said, God just said in chapter 11. The truth of that chapter is connected to the truth here in the first two verses of chapter 12 when it says, wherefore, seeing, so there's something we're supposed to see, we are also compassed about it. We're surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. We're told to see. We're told to look to, chapter 11, this great cloud of witnesses that God provided for us. They're models of faith, patterns of faith, paradigms of faith for us to follow. There are Hebrews uh, heroes there like Abel and uh, Enoch, Noah, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joshua, and the list goes on and on in chapter 11. Uh, we have in the Old Testament, we have in chapter 11, we have a great cloud of witnesses that we should look to for how they responded in faith so that we can follow their example of faith in action. Now, that word witnesses, I think we need to clarify a little bit so we receive the exact message that God is communicating to us here in verse 1. Uh, in the Greek, Witnesses is martyron. It's where we get uh, our English word for martyr. And, and no, all of those heroes of the faith back in chapter 11, they, they didn't die as martyrs as we would think of them. Now, some did. Let's, in fact, let's go back. Chapter 11, let's read verses 36, 37, and 38 because it does mention that. Verse 36 says, And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. And they were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. And wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom this world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So some, some did. But here in verse 1, this Greek word martyr that is translated as witnesses, it simply means testifiers. These heroes of the faith, they testified by word and by their works of their faith in God. And that's who has gone on before us. All these people lived long before any of us here. I know we got some people who have been blessed with years, but none of you are alive with Joshua and Joseph and those. They've gone on before us. And we would be wise and we would be successful in running our own race if we patterned our faith after theirs. Past testifiers. But there's also uh, more present testifiers using the same teaching tool that God is doing here in verse 1, we would also be wise to consider more recent heroes of the faith who have gone on to their reward, their race being won and run faithfully. And verse 1 says we're surrounded after all. So it's not just people behind us, but even right here, right now, people who more recently have gone home to heaven, faithful men and ladies. I can think of a, quite a few even here at Dublin First Baptist Church in the three and a half or almost four years I've been here. In fact, Krista was in my office the other day when we were looking for something. She opened up a cupboard where I keep a bulletin from every person whose funeral I had been involved in. And as I was going through there, I was thinking about a great cloud of witnesses 
people who left, uh, a good trail for us to follow, footsteps that we can follow in. I'm not going to highlight names. I'm, I'm guessing because you know them even better than I do. They're already in your mind as I've been talking about this. Um, but we need to be doing what we're told to do in verse 1, seeing them as part of this great cloud of witnesses, those whose life of testimony, uh, their life testimony of faith in word and in deed, they left us an example for how to run our own race of faith. Uh, because the English word for martyr or testifier is translated here as witnesses, some people, uh, some theologians even picture in this passage that those who have gone on before us, both Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, including those who are probably a lot closer to us relationally, that, that they're like spectators now in heaven watching us run our own race. I don't know that we have strong evidence that this is God's intent in his usage of the word martyr that we've translated witnesses. But I also don't think that it means it's not necessarily the case either. Uh, even if it's just by their testimony of life and their faith, we could see them as cheering us on to the finish line as we run the race they've already completed and won. And we should. We should look to them as we are commanded to in verse 1, to all of them, to Abraham's and Sarah's, Joseph's and Joshua's, and those who've more recently finished their course. We should look to them as examples for how we are to live in faith, and we should do what they did. More importantly, let's not just look at them, let's live like them. Do what they did. Pattern our own lives after their life of faithfulness to our Lord and Savior because of their expertise. If we're going to picture them that way, uh, cheering us on, watching us in our own race of faith. I want you to think of it. You're running on the track. You're tired. And you need a boost. And you look up to the stands and you see and you hear encouragement from these spectators there. And this arena is not filled with your typical sports fan with a drink in each hand and some nacho cheese stain on his shirt. I mean, the ones, these spectators are Olympic medalists who've already run this race, and who have received their reward. That's who's cheering us on. And they're saying, you can do it. That would be the message from chapter 11 and here in verse 1. Keep on. I did it. <laughs> and I don't regret it a bit. It's so worth it. So continue. Now let's look at our performance in the second part of verse 1. First of all, it comes through preparation. It says, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So here's our performance, and it comes, first of all, through preparation. Because of the testimony of these testifiers who have already faithfully finished the race that we've been given to run, we're now told here in the second part of verse 1 how we are to perform in our race of faith. First of all, we're to lay aside every weight. There is nothing worse than unnecessary weight when you are trying to run. Excess baggage. I mean, that's why running shoes and clothes, they're typically lighter than other sports footwear and equipment. You don't run in your winter coat and boots. You don't run in anything that would restrict movement or become an obstacle to completion by making the race any more difficult than it already is. But sometimes we do, don't we? Sometimes we do because we don't obey God's command here to us in verse 1, because we don't lay aside every weight. We might get rid of one, only to pick it up again a little later, or we might get rid of one and then load up with another that's just as heavy or maybe even heavier. And we're not talking about sin here, not yet. That's coming up next in this verse. 
these weights in and of themselves, there might not be anything wrong whatsoever with these weights that we're commanded to lay aside here. Um, these, these could be weights that are even a good thing, even a gift from God, given their proper usage or situation. But if it's not helping us run our race of faith, it's a weight. It's an obstacle to us getting to that finish line. Let me give you an illustration. I'm not singling this one out for any particular reason or for anyone except maybe myself um, because I like it. And if not handled right, it can become a weight that would impede my faithful progress, something I need to lay aside. I like to go fishing. I do. I remember when I came here as youth pastor, my first interview, I had an interview with the personnel committee, and then later on I went to a different room with the youth committee. I remember you. You were there, Larry. And uh, somebody asked me, well, what's your hobbies? And I said, I like to read theology books. And I like fishing. And Larry did something like this. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what that meant, but <laughs> I like fishing. Uh, are you jealous? Well, don't be, because um, I think it's fun, but I usually don't get to see the fruit of it on a plate. Um, I went with Mr. John on Friday when I went over to visit him, and he outfished me, caught three, and I caught a bunch of weed bass and things like that. But I enjoy it. One pastor, he had a church member tell him that God made the earth two-thirds water and one-third land because God expects us to fish two-thirds of the time. If that's your, if that's your way of thinking, fishing's a weight for you. I mean, it's fun, but there's more important things to do with the majority of our time. And, and it, I picked that one because it's personal, but it could be anything. There's nothing wrong with football or golf or fishing or any hobby or any job or any good, good thing that God has graced us with unless it comes between you and Jesus. There's nothing wrong with staying up and watching a game unless it prevents you from coming to church. It's quiet there. That comes a weight then. It becomes a weight, and that weight needs to be laid aside. Just like those in our great cloud of witnesses, past and present, they did this. That weight will keep you from running well. It will. It might even keep you from finishing your race, as you should. But we're also told that there's a sin that needs to be laid beside. As bad as weights are, that can um, be an obstacle to our finishing, we're told to also lay aside the sin that so easily besets us because that's an impediment that will stop you dead in your tracks. Now, what sin? Notice it's singular here. God could have put anything he wanted in there. He chose to say, and the sin which so easily besets us. Now, I think he might have cho chosen the singular form of that for a couple of reasons. The, the overarching sin that he's dealt with in the book of Hebrews is the sin of unbelief, the sin of not having faith. The sin of unfaithfulness. Uh, but really, that sin is at the root of every single other sin. You understand that when we yield to Satan's temptation to lust or to covetousness or to immorality or to pride or to bitterness, we do so because we are believing that whatever Satan is promising to us is worth more or it will be better for us than what God is promising us for saying no to sin and saying yes to obedience to him. Every temptation to sin, in that sense, is a test of faith. Will we believe God's promise? 
And I believe God uses a singular word sin here because we each have our own race to run. I mean, yeah, we're all going the same direction toward that same finish line, but we're in different lanes. And your sin struggle is probably not the same as mine. And the one that so easily besets me, you might not have any difficulty with whatsoever. That The bottom line is that they need to be laid aside just like those weights. Because, man, they get in the way of our running our race of faith. That, that phrase so easily besets us. It describes sin in a frightening way in the Greek. Um, when I was a little kid, one of my favorite movies was Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I even thought I'd be an archaeologist one day. And, um, but in that movie, I found out I had something in common with him. In that movie, when he peers into the tomb, he sees a bunch of snakes. He kind of rolls over, and Marion asks him, what's the problem? He said, not snakes. snakes. I hate snakes. I hate snakes, too. But that's the picture here, and this so easily besets us. It uh, ambushes us. It encircles us and grips us and squeezes us. That's what constrictors or anacondas do. They don't hunt. They ambush. And then once they got you, they encircle. That's what sin does. It wraps you up. There's no running. <laughs> you will not be running, uh, let alone running your race of faith with any kind of progress that's good for you and glorifying to God. And God's word this morning is lay it aside, runner. Our performance depends on this preparation of laying aside every weight in the sin which so easily besets us, but we're also told here to run with patience. Back in chapter 10, verses 35 and 36, we were encouraged to continue in the faith that we've come to. Don't cast away your faith and, and its reward, and that we needed patience, instead of verse 36, so we continue in the faith, and, and that would result in reward. And that's what the end of verse 1 tells us to do. Laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, run with patience the race that's set before us. That Greek word hypomones, it's translated here in the King James as patience, means endurance. And so we need to understand what God is asking us here. The Christian life, the, the one in these verses that's pictured as a race for us to run, it's not a sprint. It's not and I've said it before, in our fast-paced, get-it-now culture, we want sanctification. We want our growing in our relationship with Christ and being conformed to the image of Jesus. We want it to be I-95. We want it to be a freeway. It's not. It's a, more like a Bladen County logging road. It's sandy. Sometimes it's hard to get traction. There's ruts and potholes. There's probably even snakes to dodge. Just keep going. That's the message here. Whatever you do, don't turn around. <laughs> keep going. Run with endurance. Not a sprint. Endurance. This race that's set before you. I ran in the first race I ever ran in back in October. Kevin Connor race. It had been about 35 years since I ran. I think I was like 13. Last, no, it was probably longer than that. You can do the math. But I was practicing in a, a couple months. I think I went and joined the gym in July. Alan talked me into it. He ain't been there since, but he talked me into it. <laughs> and uh, I would run on the treadmill. That's all I ran. Tommy said, you need to run on the road. I was like, it's hot out. 
I like the climate-controlled environment of DreamWorks. I'd run on the treadmill, and I'd run, and, and I had a pretty good time. And then uh, when race day came, I think I ran once around Jones Lake. But uh, when race day came, I got out there. I had this app that would break up into my music on my headphones and would say, hey, mile one, and your current pace is, and all this information. And I felt like I was running at my typical pace that I've been practicing for so long. But when I got that first mile, I found out I was running a little less than a seven-minute mile. I do not have the endurance to run 3.1 miles at that pace. Well, especially when I came to that last mile or so, which was a hill. Pastor Tommy lied to me. He said there was no hills. I suppose hill is relative, but I was definitely going up. Listen, the point is, if you're not going as fast as you want in your race of faith, or, or if you've not laid aside, laid aside every sin or every weight, don't give up. Do that this morning. I mean, cast off those weights this morning. <laughs> cast off those sins this morning. But run with endurance. Keep going. Run with endurance the race he set before us. And finally, in verse 2, in our race of faith to run, our perspective is really important. And we're told, first of all, to look to a superior example. I'm so thankful uh, for those past and more present heroes of the faith that God has given us in chapter 11 and that we might have even considered earlier this morning from our own family, our church family. But there's no example superior to the one we got in verse 2. We're told to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to look to a superior example. Yes, we're to see the great cloud of witnesses that completely surrounds us. But here we're told to look to Jesus. Our perspective, our gaze, we should go to him for how we're to run this race of faith. No one did it better. No one ran it as well. How he endured, that's how we are to endure He's called here the author, the finisher of our faith. He designed the race and he completed it. The pioneer, the perfecter. He ran it and he finished it. And he calls us to run it and to finish it too. Following step by step in the trail that he blazed for us. We can do that by doing what he did. We need to look to a substantial empowerment. We sang about it a lot this morning. The choir did as well. How did Jesus endure what he endured in that faith race that he ran? I want you to think for a moment. Did he endure a level of weights and temptations and struggles and sufferings that everyone in this sanctuary is unlikely to face? He did. He did. It says here in verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. So what was that joy? What substantial empowerment motivated Jesus to endure the suffering of the cross. And we're told at the end of verse 2, his reward, his enthronement at the right hand of the Father, of being reunited with God the Father in heaven, and taking his throne seat as King of kings and Lord of lords. That was the joy he consistently set before him when Satan came in the wilderness and tempted him to sin. That was the joy he set before him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating drops of blood and praying, Father, if there's any other possible way. That was the joy he set before him at the end of that prayer when he told his disciples, wake up, boys, it's time to go. 
to the cross. That was the joy he set before him. And if you and I are going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, if we're going to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and ambushes us and constricts us, if we're going to victoriously run with endurance the race of faith that is set before us, we got to do what God tells us to do here. We have to turn our eyes upon our superior example of running that race, Jesus Christ, and turn our eyes to the same joy, the same substantial empowerment, our eternal reward in heaven forever with Christ. That's what God tells us to do in 1 John 3, 2 to 3. It says, Beloved, a name for the church at that time. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. That's what we are right now. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. We don't understand completely what it's going to be like up there. But we know this, that when he shall appear, we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every, every man that has that hope in him, he purifies himself. He lays aside weights and sins, even as he is pure. Every man that has this hope in him, that joy to be made like him, to be forever with him. Every man who has that joy, that hope, they lay aside every weight, they lay aside every sin, and they run with endurance in faith as a follower of Christ. Our reward, eternal life forever with Jesus, it is a substantial empowerment to obey every part of verse 1 and verse 2. The first question is, are you even running? Because there might be someone here who's never, gun's gone off and you've never left the starting line. And if that's the case, won't you trust in Jesus as your Savior this morning? I mean, as I'm talking right now, call out to him, confess your sins, tell him that you trust only in what Jesus did for you to save you. Be born again this morning. If you've got any questions about what that means on the back of our bulletin, or our website, come get me. I'll love to tell you, clear up anything that might be confusing. But you who have, Christian, whether you're on lap one or whether you're on lap 101, the Word of God has this for you this morning. Keep going. <laughs> Don't quit. If there's some weight that needs to be laid aside, this is a good place to do it. Leave it here this morning. If there's some sin that's ambushed you and it has you in its encircling, constricting death grip, lay it down. Leave it here this morning. Confess it. Commit to turn from it and receive God's full and free forgiveness that he offers us in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're tired. I'm tired. Church, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, they are a loud cheer of motivation from saints past and present. But more importantly and more powerfully, it's a cheer of motivation from your superior Savior, the author and the finisher of the faith race we're running. And this is the cheer. Run with endurance. Jesus is shouting this morning these two verses. Keep going. Look to me. Look to the finish line. Look to your reward. I have Corinne come up and we're going to sing a song that asks us to do just that. However, the Holy Spirit of God has used the word of God to call you to respond today. I just ask that you'd obey.